But first, as mentioned... A new watchdog report says the use of Clearview AI's facial recognition technology in this country violated both federal and provincial laws. And that's when it comes to taking photos, taking images, gathering personal information, and then selling it to various companies and organizations. Joining me to talk more about how this specifically affects British Columbians is Michael McAvoy, who is the Information and Privacy Commissioner for BC. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome, Jill. Uh, Can you talk a bit, uh, before we get into specifics about who was using this technology, uh, your response and uh, what we now know about this company, Clearview AI, and what they were actually doing? Well, the company is based in the United States, and what they were doing was compiling a mass surveillance database. Uh, And they did that by scraping billions of, of people's photos off the internet, something that is not uh, legal and something that they shouldn't have been doing. And and our investigation has uh, looked at the technical aspects of how that happened, why it happened, and the fact that it shouldn't have happened. The company, from what I understand, they stopped doing this uh, in July of 2020. Uh, this was when you and the federal privacy commissioner were starting to look into this. Do we have any idea kind of the scope of, of how long they had been doing this? Or do we know how many images they may have scraped or taken? Well, they did it over the course of many, many months. Uh, they scraped about 3 billion images that the company says uh, that they put into their database. That would obviously include millions of Canadians that we're talking about and and, uh, likely millions of British Columbians as well because they scraped to such uh, uh, services as Facebook and Twitter, uh, Instagram, those kinds of things. So uh, it would be uh, uh, just a massive uh, uh, database uh, that they put together. Uh, So with the finding that they did in fact break Canadian privacy laws, do they face any repercussions? They... One of the shortcomings of Canadian law is that uh, our laws do not permit us to levy sanctions, financial sanctions, on companies that contravene our laws. That's something that has to change, and that's something that this investigation and my colleagues across the country have pointed out. There are some remedies that we can take in British Columbia. Uh, We can uh, make certain orders to stop companies from doing these kinds of things, and uh, that is something I'm talking to my colleagues across uh, the country about. But, of course, that doesn't undo the damage that's happened. And so we need tougher laws in this country that are going to properly protect uh, the privacy rights of our citizens. What do you say to the argument that I saw being made by the company saying that these were pictures that had been posted online, had been put on social media sites that they claim were in the public realm, so it wasn't actually stealing or doing anything untoward? Uh, That argument is wrong. Uh, In fact... Uh, those pictures were put into the realm of individuals uh, like you and I who go on a Facebook group, for example. Uh, we share pictures perhaps amongst one another. We're sharing amongst one another. What we're not doing is uh, giving over those images to a company uh, with the, whose motive is to make profit from compiling a surveillance database. That's not what people are signing up for. You know, it wouldn't be all that different uh, if you just walked in downtown Vancouver, for example, and somebody wanted to collect your image uh, because that was part of their business, stuck a camera in your face, and tried to take your picture. Of course, you'd be not just offended by that. A company can't do that. Even though you're in a public space, 
nobody's uh, entitled to collect whatever they want about you. And so it needs your permission. And in this case, what happened was that Clearview AI collected all of these images of people without their permission. You uh, talked yesterday as well about the fact that there are police forces that are using this technology or received this technology, I think five in BC. Uh, Can you explain or expand on that a little bit? Well, uh, first of all, the the good news is that there is no police force that officially uh, signed on to this technology in British Columbia. What we did find was that there were individuals within police forces without uh, appropriate authority that used the uh, technology on a trial basis. Uh, Once our office had conversations with those uh, municipal law uh, enforcement uh, divisions, uh, they readily uh, agreed that this was not an appropriate technology to be deploying and uh, ensured that their members were not using it. Can you say which police forces? Um, I, I can't, I, I'm not sure that's appropriate because it wasn't the official uh, uh, authority of the police forces being involved. Uh, it was individuals, and as I say, the, the good news from the public's perspective is that those forces uh, immediately took measures to make sure that wasn't happening. That is good news, but that's got to be concerning that uh, individual officers in some cases felt it was appropriate to go ahead and use this type of technology. You know, I think, you know, officers like anybody in society, sometimes they're not necessarily conversant with uh, the ins and outs of the rules around technology and what can and can't be used. Uh, people, law enforcement, they obviously want to do the right thing. And when uh, it was drawn to their attention that this was uh, not the right thing, uh, they quickly corrected their actions. And when we look at what Clearview AI was doing as far as taking these images, so can we make the connection then? Were they sharing these images with thing, companies? Or were they sharing them with banks? Did they have police force clients? What were they then doing with all of these billions of images that they were collecting? Well, uh, certainly law enforcement was one of the areas. That's an area where they wanted to develop a clientele for profit, um, and uh, they working uh, as well, uh, we believe, with the private entities uh, in their investigation and security uh, phases, as far as we understand. Um, and uh, that's, again, part of the reason for this investigation was to put a light on this, shine a light on it, uh, and indicate to any company, for example, in Canada that may want to Uh, use a service like this, it is not legal and it is not appropriate and they shouldn't be doing it. So, and and you kind of touched on it there, but like you said earlier, that this also shows the need for stricter laws about this. What is to stop another company similar to Clearview AI with uh, trying to get away with this or trying to do something similar in the future? Well, I think what this investigation uh, has pointed out and made done so very publicly is that Uh, Doing this is contrary to Canadian law, BC law, Canadian law, and companies shouldn't be doing it. Uh, Clearview AI has said now that they are backing away uh, from Canada, and uh, that is the right right thing to do, given that their laws do not permit them to do what they were doing, scraping the images of millions of Canadians um, for profit. And as the privacy commissioner, what do you say to people? Because people will hear this story as well. And even though this company has stopped, there are going to be concerns and questions about, okay, well, what is safe to share? And and even things that people don't have control over. You might be in somebody else's picture that shared somewhere that you don't even know about. How do people protect themselves or, or try and have some kind of privacy? Well, 
I think individuals can take some steps to ensure that when they're on a platform, for example, to make their settings such that they are not sharing uh, as widely as uh, as they as they might the platform might allow for. Um, that's one thing to do. But you know, the other thing is Canadians should expect British Columbians should expect that their information is going to be treated respectfully and properly by the companies that they deal with. And that's, I think that's absolutely key. And a part of the, uh, the way we're going to make sure that happens is if um, our laws that are in place are strengthened uh, to make sure that companies that are not going to do the right thing, that are bad actors, that they are going to suffer a penalty uh, if they do act in that way. But, you know, I think as the, as a, person just, uh, you know, every day in society, I think you have a right to expect that the businesses, the organizations you're going to deal with uh, are going to deal with you in a respectful, proper, and legal uh, manner. That's the way businesses build trust, by building privacy into their platforms. That's what we encourage. We educate businesses all the time about this. And as I say, most companies, organizations want to do the right thing. All right. Uh, Michael McAvoy, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. You're very welcome. We started off the show talking about the findings that the U.S. firm Clearview AI, the facial recognition technology, did in fact violate federal and provincial laws. We were talking with BC's Information and Privacy Commissioner about this. So we now want to bring in Andy Barrar, freelance tech, tech journalist, for his take on this story. Andy, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Jill. Uh, what was your first response? I know we've talked about Clearview AI in the past and, and such, but what's your response to now this confirmation that they did, in fact, break these rules? Well, one, Jill, I'm not surprised. If you look at the privacy commissioner and all the other things that's happened in the past, there is no way that they were going to allow this to happen. But the, the real thing is I am just grateful that we even have a privacy commissioner because imagine that like, we need watchdogs. To, to monitor companies out there because what we've seen time and time again, Jill, is technology always outpaces oversight. But thankfully, thankfully we have that oversight and that ruling that the, the, the privacy commissioner said is, is not surprising, but it's something that was long overdue because it's been about a year that we've been waiting to, to hear about this. And we know that Clearview AA did stop doing the surveillance or scraping the photos, the images, as they said back in, I think it was July 2020. But what do you think as far as do people get when their images are out there, when they're posting photos and things on social media sites? Do we get a good understanding or grip of just how far, how far things can be taken and shared? Joe, I, I always think about the early days of the Internet. Nobody even gave their, like, real name. Everybody had an alias, and they would, the last thing that people would put is their photo. But as a society, as a digital, you know, Internet society, we've changed so much over the decades. And I think a lot happened as soon as the smartphone was introduced because we had a tool in our pocket that could create content at any time, and then social media came, and then we started sharing all of our information. So we've, as a society, have come a long way, but people are not mindful of the privacy. And what every listener should do right now is Google yourself and then click on the images in that Google search, and you're going to be very surprised at what comes up.
Do you think we're also falling behind? And the privacy commissioner mentioned this: that our laws don't really have that much, uh, that many teeth; that, that they need to be strengthened. But even if we look at some of the other countries around the world, if you look at uh, rules in the EU, if you make the decision, say, to leave Facebook or to leave a social media site here, it's very different as far as your background, your um, uh, whatever profile, your footprint of it being scrubbed here. It, it, from what I understand, it's not. Whereas in other countries, there actually is legislation that that mandates that absolutely and i think that we have to talk to our local politicians and be like what are you doing about this because it's just again it's the technology is working so fast that we can't keep our laws up to date but these big corporations the facebook's of the world the google's of the world they are taking all of this information and then you have private companies now like clearview ai that is looking around saying we can make some money off all this data. And, and the AI that Clearview is using, this is not like proprietary or groundbreaking. Anybody that has Google Photos will know that you can tag your photo or your family members. And then when you take future photos, it understands who that person is. Even children, as they age, the AI can identify somebody. And that's really scary and why we have to hold these big companies accountable to make sure we know what they're doing with our photos when we share it on their platforms. And more importantly, what happens if we decide to leave? What happens to that data? That's the big question that needs to be answered. Uh, What about the issue of RCMP and other police agencies also not officially uh, signing on to this, but there was evidence they too were using it? Well, that's the thing, Jill. This, like, of course we want the RCMP to solve, you know, crimes. But something like this could be used by even what they call loss prevention. You know, people who catch shoplifters at, say, a retail store. All you need is an image of a person, whether it's a video still or a photo. And then you could use the Clearview AI and just enter it in. And the, the way that Clearview AI works is the more photos they get of you, the better the AI is going to identify you. So, you know, the fact that law enforcement was, was teetering with this, this is like the perfect tool for them. But it just it, it creates a, a dysopian society. You know, we're, we're essentially consenting then to have a surveillance society. And Canadians, we did not consent our photos to be in that database. And that's what the privacy commissioner had ruled today. Uh, we've seen stories like this in the past, though, as well. I covered the, the story, I'm sure you remember it, in Pacific Centre, Cadillac Fairview, the mall where we are sitting, at least I'm sitting uh, in the tower above it right now, uh, where they had kiosks that were scanning people's faces, and they had no idea. There was a tiny sticker, perhaps, on the door when you entered the mall, but people didn't know that by looking up uh, to where a certain store was, their face was actually being scanned, and, and the company came back saying, oh, well, it wasn't to, to identify you, we just wanted to do some kind of biometrics, some gender and general age biometrics, but we've certainly seen other cases. So how do we stop this from happening in the future? This is the thing, Jill. I have been looking at these new surveillance cameras that they have, the the closed circuit television cameras, because I used to work when in university in loss prevention, I used to set these cameras up. Well, that technology, these cameras has gone so far ahead. You could be in a stadium at the Canucks game and you could pull out a, a penny and put it in your hand that camera can zoom right in and tell you the year of that penny. Like the the technology is just mind boggling. And what we have to know is when we go to different events, whether it's a stadium, whether it's a mall, we should know if we're being recorded or not. And a little tiny sign in the corner is not going to do it because it's a slippery slope, Jill. We don't, I don't think we want to live in a society where, you know, we're being constantly uh, on surveillance and, and, 
you know, doing something as simple as just protesting, you're getting scared of because there's cameras everywhere and you don't want to be identified. That, that's a scary society to live in. It is. Uh, Andy, just before I let you go, I, I look to people like you who are in this and know more about this than most people. I see you posting videos of yourself skipping, uh, trying to get people, uh, others uh, involved in, in skipping. I see your amazing uh, herb gardens made out of pallets, which I want the designs for because I want to make one. But when I see you post these things, I think, well, if he's posting it, it must be okay. There must be ways we can do this and still be safe. So what are your rules? Well, that's the thing, Jill. You know, the, the way that you could look at something, even like Facebook, and you can say, oh, you know, Facebook's evil because of the AI. Well, the AI is just, you know, picking on your newsfeed. What you can do is you can tweak it so that you only see the stuff you really want to see. And so during the lockdown, all I wanted to look at was people jumping rope or making garden beds. And, and so I was just like fed, I was like feeding the beast of all this stuff. And then Sure enough, I started creating the same type of content because that was all I was seeing. So we can use technology for good or we could use it for bad. We could try to just live on the mountains and completely, you know, cut off from society. Or we could just try to use it in a a positive way. And I think that's what I've been trying to do, Jill, (laughs) especially during the lockdown. I'm like, you know, now is the best time to get in shape. (laughs) We're at home. We might as well. Uh, make the best of it. And I'm hoping that I was, I could inspire others. And I have actually. So it's just, that's the thing about technology. It can be used good or bad, but we just have to be very mindful and active and an active participant in how we want it to be part of our digital life. All right. Good advice, Andy. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Jill. We are going to talk about noise and some new research. It was done by Mario Canseco at Research Co. Taking a look at whether or not Canadians feel like there is more noise, whether it's from vehicles, construction, things happening around us. And the other day, I went down to the dog park after work in the evening and I thought, what better way to get away from the busy streets of the city, just watch the dogs running around, maybe hear the odd dog bark, people calling to their dogs dogs, what have you, thought it would be a nice way to relax and have a nice quiet evening. Well, I'm glad that I recorded it because it works perfectly with talking about noise because here is just a little bit of how things unfolded. All right, so yes, that's exactly what happened. There was a busker with an amp. The dog started howling, albeit in tune with the music, and the Canada geese also got involved as they flew over just a few feet ahead. So not exactly a quiet, calm evening. Let's bring in Mario Canseco now to talk about noise. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jill. That was very enjoyable, very bluesy. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like the, the animals had been asked to join in with the music and, and, <laughs> and be in tune. But not what I was expecting for, for a quiet evening. Uh, but not ex- also not exactly the noise you're talking about in this uh, survey. But you asked people about that. Are they bothered by what you might call unnecessary noise? Well, it's definitely one of the things that is bothering people more, especially now. We thought it was a good opportunity to ask about noises at home because there's a lot of Canadians who are working from home. Our kitchens have become our offices. Uh, We're no longer commuting. And you're more likely to be noticing noises that happened uh, from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 in your home 
because you're there all the time. And the reality here is most of the noises that bother you, that uh, actually bother us when we're at home, are unnecessary. You know, the number one thing that Canadians mentioned was vehicles such as motorcycles or cars revving up. 30% say they have been bothered at home by this noise. So it's the highest proportion that we saw for anything that we rated. Which makes sense when you, especially even if you're in a city and you understand that there is going to be a certain level of noise that happens because there are so many people living and commuting and that. But when you hear a car or a truck peel out or rev up, you do help. You can't help but wonder why is why does that person feel the need to do that? Well, that is exactly it. You know, I think there's other noises that bother us, but that can be explained in a very different way. Uh, than somebody who just uh, feels that they have to announce their presence when they're coming down their, their, their own street. Um, yeah, that is definitely the one thing that bothers us the most. And it's uh, definitely high across all, all regions and ages. Uh, the number two issue is dogs barking. And this can be very complicated. There's people who decide to leave their dog outside. Uh, they want to have a dog there for security reasons. Uh, 24% of people say that they've been bothered by dogs barking when they're at home. And the next one was loud people outside your home and somebody who's out there walking or talking very loudly at 20% and car alarms. The main problem with car alarms, of course, is if the owner is not nearby, that's going to start going off for 15, 20 minutes or even half an hour and there's no way to stop it. Yeah, I think we can all, well, maybe not all, but a car alarm, you can let it go once and then you hope the owner takes care of it or if it's being broken into, the owner figures it out and, and it stops that. But you're right, it's the ones that go off continually and the owner clearly is nowhere to be found, can be pretty annoying. Uh, we've talked a lot in Vancouver in the past, maybe not so much recently, but in the past we certainly have talked about leaf blowers. I know councils have even dealt with this. Did that come up on the list? It did. You know, we do see... Uh, a significant number of people who say that they've been bothered by yard work, uh, 19%. You know, this might be a very noisy lawnmower, a leaf blower. There's specific municipalities that have taken uh, this type of noise into consideration and have written bylaws to stop them from being used. And this is something that started back in California uh, probably five or six years ago. Uh, Montreal was also a city that decided to do something like this. A little more complicated out east because what they're doing also is using the leaf blowers to get rid of snow. So it's not, it's not a thing that happens only in the summer and the fall. They have to uh, be able to deal with that noise even in the winter. Uh, what about other things? Because like you said, we are spending more time at home. That could be renovation projects. It could be doing things in, if you have a yard or an outdoor area with power tools. Uh, what about those types of noises? Yeah, uh, power tools was uh, also ranked as high at 18%. So it's essentially... One out of five Canadians who said somebody was using power tools nearby and it distracted me. It's something that bothered me. Uh, Loud music, of course. Uh, Fireworks at 16%. We had a higher incidence of this in British Columbia, you know, partly because we have this situation with Halloween where everything is happening. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens next year when the new bylaws come into place because we all saw the fireworks and they're supposed to happen only one night. Uh, but even in the first week of November, you still have a lot of people who were using them afterwards. So pretty complicated issue to police, uh, but definitely one of the things that bothers people, particularly if you have younger kids or pets. Uh, and getting back to traffic as well, what about honking? And it seems like it's not as big of an issue perhaps in Metro Vancouver, and we're going to open up the phone lines next, and people can correct me on that if it's a problem in their neighborhood. But what about other things that, that while driving? Well, that one was also ranked highly in my view. You know, we have uh, it, 
a lot of legislation dealing with the fact that you should only honk your horn if you're in the if you're driving a car, uh, if you're going to do this to avoid an accident, you know, you're not supposed to do this to announce yourself. You're not supposed to do this so that the kids come out. Uh, it's something that happens a little bit more on school zones. You know, there's that tendency from uh, some parents, it's definitely not all of them, to have a special tone or a special sequence to announce that they're there to get their kids. It's not something that we should see happening anywhere, uh, but it tends to be something that we observe a little bit more when it comes to a school zone, 12% of Canadians said they're at home and there's somebody out there honking the horn excessively. Just get out of the car and use the doorbell. That's what it's there for. <laughs> there you go. That seems like a very, uh, very easy solution. Uh, what about what people have done to deal with the noise? Well, this is also fascinating to me because it, cer- it certainly shows the polite nature of Canadians. You know, we are likely to say, yes, this is bothersome. But when it comes to reporting this to the police, for instance, there's only 5% of Canadians who did something like this. There's 4% who decided to move away from their previous home. So if you're doing something about this, you're more likely to be doing something within your home. 12% who said, I just got earplugs or earmuffs to mitigate the noise. And 7% who splurged a little bit more and got those uh, special noise-canceling headphones or earphones. So we're more likely to be dealing with this within our homes than to report it to the police in case it's something that is really bothersome. Which I think that was, it was actually good to see that, what was it, uh, 5% reported their noise concerns to police? Because, I mean, unless it is something that's actually uh, breaking a law or you think someone's genuinely perhaps hurt or needs help, but that seems like you're kind of meddling, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we wanted to make very clear that this was a survey related to noise. You know, there might be another opportunity to call the police if under COVID-19 regulations you have a party happening (laughs) next door and you want to report it. Uh, But we wanted to focus on the noise aspect. And I guess the biggest surprise of this was how much millennials are bothered by noise. You know, I think we were under the expectation that the older you get, the more likely you would be to be upset with certain noises happening outside your home. Uh, but it's actually uh, the younger generation, 18 to 34-year-olds, who say, this is bothering me, especially because many of us are working from home and you want to have that sanctuary and you can't have it if one guy next door is doing power tools and the other one is having a party. Yeah, that is a large, 78%, the 18 to 34. I would have, you're right, I would have thought it would have gone the other way as well. Yeah, it's significantly higher than what we see for Generation X or for baby boomers. You know, I think we all have this idea of somebody complaining about noise, and it's probably not a millennial, but the numbers certainly suggest that because the house or our homes have actually become our offices and everything else, if you have kids and they're not going to school, like what is happening in some other provinces in the country, uh, it's also the place where you educate the kids. So you definitely want to have something that is Uh, a little bit better when it comes to noise. And definitely millennials are the ones who are struggling the most with this. They seem to be more sensitive to noises inside their homes than what we see with the older generations. Interesting findings when it comes to life getting noisier. Mario, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to talk with you. My pleasure, Jill. Anytime. Vancouver police announced earlier today they had arrested two suspects in a violent West Side home invasion. And they also announced that the victim of that home invasion, a 78-year-old woman by the name of Usha Singh, has since passed away. She was found badly injured inside of her home, the home she lived in near Queen Elizabeth Park. And police say it's believed she was attacked by two men who gained entry to her home by posing as police officers.
As for the suspects, so we know they are a 47-year-old man and a 41-year-old man, and we know that one of the suspects was arrested in Strathcona Park. Take a listen to this comment from Sergeant Steve Addison. He spoke earlier today about how that arrest took place. Our investigators did execute a search warrant in the park related to a tent, and uh, there was evidence seized uh, relation to that search warrant. Our investigators uh, did encounter a number of challenges while uh, trying to execute this search warrant in the park yesterday. They were met by a very volatile and hostile crowd. Uh, as they were trying to execute the search warrant, approximately 50 people did encroach upon them and attempted to interfere in the work that they were doing. Uh, very abusive verbally, encroaching as they were trying to execute the search warrant. It got to the point where it was so volatile in the park that uh, the police officers who were there, the patrol officers, had to call for uh, emergency cover from all over the city. So that's called a code, code 3 cover. Police officers who were working in all corners of the city had to respond with lights and sirens and get there as fast as they could because our officers uh, really did face a, a dangerous situation with a number of people who were in- encroaching on the work that they were attempting to do. All right, that was Sergeant Steve Addison speaking earlier today. We are joined now on the line by Jamie McLaren, who is a social justice lawyer as well as a Strathcona resident. Jamie, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Happy to be here. Uh, Did you see the arrest go down or see anything happen when this was going on? No, I I live a couple blocks from the park, so I don't see what's happening there all the time. But I I certainly heard about it from, from neighbors and then more lately uh, on the news and it's it's absolutely awful awful news and and sends a chill down your spine Uh, it it certainly does and i know condolences uh, have gone out to to the family of uh, ms singh just absolutely again i'm at a loss for words to to try and even come to terms with what happened to this woman Uh, but the reason we wanted to ask you uh, to come on the program today and to talk about this is because it's also got to be very unsettling to know that strathcona residents uh, you've been dealing with a certain criminal element in this park for months and now to learn that a man accused of beating an elderly woman to death or being part of two people who did this to someone in their home uh, was living in that park yeah, it's you know it's 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 really distressing, and it certainly many of our neighbors are, are feeling very unsafe at the moment. Um, you know, we're we're used to a high degree of property crime, petty petty crime, and and, and property theft. Um, but when you learn that there's an alleged um, or possible homicide uh, or murderer in your in your um, in your neighborhood, of course that that rings all sorts of alarms. So it's you know we're on. We were stressed out before. We had, you know, we we're feeling exasperated and abandoned by the politicians and their their lack of uh, initiative and, and motivation to find houses and homes for the people living in, in Strathcona Park. And, and now to learn that, that you know there's a the criminal element is 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 uh, you know something beyond uh, property theft and, and something uh, deadly. You know that that's that's really alarming.
Uh, Police also released information saying that while these two suspects were being arrested, and again, the one uh, individual who was wanted, uh, the two individuals, sorry, who were wanted in connection with the home invasion, uh, they also happened upon a 47-year-old man who was wanted on a Canada-wide warrant for unrelated offences. He was also arrested near Strathcona Park. Uh, That's the case, and I misspoke earlier. I thought that was one of the the individuals in the home invasion. He was uh, the man arrested a short time later. Uh, he did suffer a, a dog bite because a police dog was brought in. Uh, how does how are you and residents responding when not only was there an arrest made in connection to a fatal home invasion, uh, they also happened to find somebody living there wanted on a Canada-wide warrant? Yeah, well, you know, we know it's it's been difficult for police to gain entry and to do their jobs, and, and we know the history behind that, and it's complicated, certainly. Um, but, you know, police need to do their jobs. And so it's really disappointing to, to you know, to know and to, to learn that, that they're being blocked and, and actively um, repelled uh, by, by people, um, you know, in, in the camp. So that's, that's really problematic. You know, in the neighborhood, in the house, the house of neighbors, you know, we, we all lock our doors constantly. There's, you know, there's been home invasions in the past. And in this past week, there's been a, a couple of attempted home invasions that neighbors have reported. So it's, you know, we're under a high degree of stress and, and alarm at the moment. And um, we're just hoping that, that uh, the government and our officials uh, get, get busy and, and move swiftly to, to find houses and homes for the people in Strathcona Park. Because, you know, ultimately the people most at risk from, from criminal behavior and, um, and violent criminals are the, 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 the campers themselves. They only have a you know, a piece of uh, nylon separating them from, from you know, criminals uh, outside their tents and so forth. So that's, that's the real concern, I think. And I think, too, and you make a good point in that whoever it was, the 50 individuals who took it upon themselves to swarm police officers, I would like to take a leap of faith and hope that they had no idea police were there to arrest somebody wanted in a most heinous and horrific crime. But the bottom line is they still made it a situation so dangerous that police had to call for every other officer in the city to respond because they felt that they were in danger. Uh, that's got to be very concerning for residents as well. When when you just say residents in that area have also had attempted home invasions and likely situations where they would need to call police. Yeah, I would, I, I would think, you know, I'm almost certain that if, if the, the people in the camp, some of whom I know, um, had uh, full knowledge of the circumstances, about that that search and that warrant, they they wouldn't have <clears throat> they wouldn't have um, you know served as obstacles to to the search. So you know it's it's really unfortunate. There's a lot of distrust of, of officials generally there, um, some for very valid reasons and some for less than valid reasons. But but it's it's unfortunate, and you know we need to, as a society, and certainly our, our government officials need to do much more to to address this situation. Uh, do you think this is going to help the argument or help at all get get something done in that I know that you've been told, yes, there's going to be housing, uh, that yes, everyone's going to have housing by the end of April. Uh, but this is not just a camp with people who have nowhere else to live. This is a, a camp that is housing people who are uh, being who are suspects in homicides. Yeah, you know, we, from previous experiences at, at Oppenheimer Park and elsewhere, we know that, you know, it, it, these campments start off, generally speaking, as, as encampments of truly homeless people, of people, unhoused people, who, who just need shelter from the elements and find it in, in, a, in a small community, in a, in a park usually. 
and then there's a criminal element that that comes in to um, to prey on on some of those unhoused residents, and, and that's the real concerning part. Of course, we saw that happen in Oppenheimer, and it certainly happened here in Strathcona Park. So it's you know it, it's it's unfortunately very predictable and, and left long enough, um, and, you know, left to fester long enough without uh, adequate um, you know action and, and support. You know, th- this kind of thing is is pretty predictable. I think. All right, uh, Jamie McLaren, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. Well, yesterday on the program, we talked about this because we have to have some lighter segments. Although, if you're a dog owner, you might not consider this a lighter segment. We were talking with Adamina Carden. She is a Vancouver resident who has started a petition. The title is called Loosen Vancouver's Off-Leash Bylaws. And when we chatted with her yesterday, it just so happened she'd had another run-in, shall we say, with a bylaw officer in Vancouver because she has taken to walking with her dog not on a leash, saying that her dog is very well behaved and obeys all commands so she doesn't need the dog to be tethered. And that's kind of the crux of the petition. There's a few other points in there as well. Uh, But it basically says dogs should be allowed off-leash in unused school fields after hours, should be allowed to use unused fields for sports fields during the winter. Uh, Owners should be allowed the opportunity to apply for an off-leash license where if they can prove to the city of Vancouver their dog is not aggressive and does obey commands when crossing the street or in public, they don't need to put the dog on leash. And that's the one that got a lot of response from listeners. We didn't get to everybody on the phone lines. So we wanted to bring it back and talk a bit more about it today. And we've invited Rebecca Bretter, who's an animal rights, rights lawyer at Bretter Law, to join us as well. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. And you may hear my Bowen, my dog Bowen, barking in the background. Well, I'm Bowen probably has that. a lot to say on this issue, so that's okay. He, he certainly does, yes. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? It's a petition saying the leash laws, they're too... Oh, there he is. Uh, that they are, they're, they're too much. That, that dog owners that have well-behaved dogs should get some leeway. Let me... Okay, I think it's no surprise... I'm a dog advocate. I'm an animal rights advocate. So I'm totally open about that. I I think this all comes down to we have to remember that dogs are here to stay. There's no question about that. Dogs are here to stay. But at the same time, so are people who don't like dogs or people who are scared of dogs. And we have to find some kind of happy balance right now in the city of Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, and elsewhere for that matter, which arguably I don't think, I think we're getting there, but I don't think we have that. I took a closer look at this petition, and I have to say my heart totally agrees with it. I think we certainly need more off-leash areas for dogs in the city of Vancouver and in Metro Vancouver in general, you just have to look at the COVID experience and how many more people have adopted or or bought dogs over the last year. We need more space for dogs. And there's nothing happier than seeing just happy dogs frolic around and and playing around. But on a more serious note, um, there there are parts of the petition that I actually don't think are good ideas. And this is coming from someone not only as a dog lover myself, but as someone who defends dogs as part of what I do in my practice. So the part of the petition about um, getting unused school fields to be used for off-leash, great. Love that idea. Getting sports fields that are not being used um, to be off-leash, designated off-leash 
areas, maybe during certain times, love it. Would totally do that. Um, I would just add that I think that if school fields are being used or sport fields are being used, that a certain time period be be put on. So it's not just general when they're not being used, because sometimes people get a permit and they're not there until a certain time. But um, let's say from like, I don't know, 5.30 or 6 p.m. until 8 in the morning for those specific areas. So I'm totally fine with that. But where I surprisingly, maybe to some, I have a bit of an issue is the off-leash license. So uh, from what I understand, the woman who started this, and, and, and I could totally get many people would be in favor of this, and others wouldn't, but about have maybe applying to the city for an off-leash license. So if you have a good dog, a well-trained dog, an obedient dog, you should be able to have your dog um, without a leash anywhere at any time. That sounds great, and my heart does Uh, my heart, uh, I I like the sound of that and I want to agree to it. But the reason I'm actually against that and, and very strongly so is because, because of other dogs who may be reactive to off leash dogs. And until you've had a dog who's reactive on leash, and maybe some people don't know what I'm talking about, but I could assure you those people who do have a reactive dog on leash totally know what I'm talking about. And that's basically a dog that's generally good But as soon as you put him or her on a leash, they turn into like another creature. And it doesn't make them bad or aggressive. It just means that when they're on a leash, that they're not so great. And so here comes an off-leash dog and approaches an on-leash dog. And you'll have an altercation. There's almost no question about that. And I don't think it's fair for the population of the reactive dogs out there and for dog guardians who are trying to get their reactive dogs out into the community safely. But then here come these off-leash dogs and create a problem. So that's one of the reasons why I'm against the off-leash license. But the other, the other reason is actually for the benefit of the off-leash dogs themselves. And what people may not realize, unless you've gotten into trouble with animal control in the city of Vancouver or elsewhere for that matter, you just don't realize how much the legal system and the animal control bylaws are actually stacked up against dog guardians in the city and elsewhere, like I said. And so if you have, I totally understand that people think, oh, my dog's the best. He's never, you know, he's never done anything. He's not aggressive. All you need is that one time for something to happen. And I could tell you, it's, it's difficult, depending on the severity of the incident. Um, it, it could be difficult to, uh, to protect your dogs in, in all possible ways. So I really think that while I love the idea of being able to have dogs off leash anywhere, anytime in the city, um, even if the dog is supposedly a good dog, I don't think that's a good idea. I think it could cause a lot more problems than it, that, than it intends to fix. Uh, I tend to agree. And having had a dog who was very reactive, rest in peace, little Jake, uh, he mm. was a dog. I couldn't take him to off-leash areas because he was unpredictable and, and was very reactive. So I only walked 
to him on leash. But if a dog came up to him, I, exactly that. I couldn't tell you if he was going to nip or or he would be reactive. And and so right. I, I'm picturing this scenario where, granted, again, like you said, you might have the best dog in the world, but if your dog's off leash and gets up close, there's going to be a problem. And then where do the people with dogs that have to be leashed walk? Where do they go? Right, exactly. And it just going back to the to my point about how the legal system right now, the animal control bylaws, I really do believe. I mean, I see this. I defend it. I'm in the system. I see it all the time. I do wholeheartedly believe that the system is stacked up against dog owners uh, to begin with. That even if there is an, a quote-unquote incident with your dog and you don't think it's an incident, if it gets reported by someone because they believe it's an incident, it goes into your dog's file. It goes onto the file as you as a dog guardian. And you better be sure that that will most likely be used against you or your dog in the future if there is another more serious incident. And that's that's what concerns me is until we have better animal control bylaws, a more fair and transparent investigative process that that actually truly investigates these incidents. I would be very hesitant to to have um, to allow these off-leash licenses as proposed in the petition. Do you think that it is a case that we need more specific off-leash areas? Because even the other day, a Metro Vancouver employee approached me, I was out with the dogs and said, hey, can you please, I'm trying to get people in this neighborhood to write to the city because there aren't enough off-leash areas and the dogs are ruining the sports field, which also kind of goes into this because this is calling on dogs to use sports fields. And he was saying, they're ruining these spots. We need more off-leash areas. Can you let the city know? Oh, absolutely. We definitely need more off-leash areas. But then the question will be, well, what kind of off-leash area? How big should it be? How small should it be? And and in my view, and, and I could guarantee that many dog guardians would agree with me, is that it's not enough to just technically designate an area as an off-leash. It has to be big enough to actually provide enough space for the dogs to run around, to have a, to have at least you know, a number of dogs in in that area to run around, exercise, play, and to even potentially get away from one another. You know, all, there are some dogs that love playing ball, but as soon as you throw that ball and there's another dog that tries to get that ball away, you know, they, they, it turns into a dog fight. And so I think we certainly need more off-leash areas in the city. And I recognize that there are many people who are scared of dogs, who don't like dogs, um, and that's fine. And we have to respect those people, but we also have to respect the population who have dogs and dogs have to be properly exercised. It's not just walking around the block with, with a leash. And I think city planners, regardless of what city, really do need to seriously consider dog guardianship when shaping uh, the city in the future. I mean, just look at Metro Vancouver. I think the last time I checked, there was like two and a half million people or something in Metro Vancouver. And um, they say it's hard to pinpoint exactly how many dogs there are, but they say there is a there's about a third, one third of households uh, have a house, uh, have a dog. And so that's that's a lot of dogs. And I would that statistic is pre-COVID. 
I, I, I could almost bet anything that that statistic is much higher now where people have gone out and adopted dogs during COVID. So I, I, I definitely do think that we need more off-leash areas for dogs um, because I think ultimately you'll make dogs happy, you'll make people happy, including those people who don't necessarily like dogs because if you could exercise dogs well enough and you ensure their welfare, you're going to have good, happy dogs that won't turn into aggressive dogs because they have all this energy cooped up in them. All right. Uh, Very uh, good advice on this uh, and good input. Uh, Rebecca, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much. Thank you.